0: Let's pray together. Father, we pray that just as your son spoke in that service that day, that your son would speak to us this morning by the Spirit through your word. Open our hearts, please, to receive what you have to say to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, all of the conventional wisdom For how to begin a new ministry can be summed up in two words, go slow. When you're beginning a new ministry, don't rock the boat, don't make waves, don't upset people, don't cause a stir, go slow. And anyone who's starting out in ministry, a new position in ministry, and does not listen to this conventional wisdom can expect an earthquake of, pun very much intended, biblical proportions. (laughs) Exhibit A this morning, Jesus of Nazareth. In our text, our gospel text from Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21, Jesus takes all of that conventional wisdom about how to start out in ministry and he throws it out the window of a Nazarene synagogue. It starts off as a normal day from all accounts, and Jesus walks into a normal service in a normal synagogue. Normally, things would start off with a reading of the Shema, which is from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Then, normally, they would share in prayer together. Then, normally, there would be a reading from the Torah, or the law, and then, normally, a reading from the prophets. And then someone from within the congregation would sit to expound upon the scriptures. And if there was a distinguished guest in their midst, then that would happen to fall to that person. And so on this particular day, because Luke tells us in verse 14 that reports about Jesus were spreading throughout the region, the honor of expounding upon the scriptures fell to Jesus. And everything starts off pretty smoothly. Luke tells us that Jesus stands up to read... That was normal. Then he finds two selections to read from Isaiah, still normal. Now, they didn't have chapters and verses back then, but for our reference, Jesus read Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, first half of that verse. And then Isaiah 58, verse 6. Then Jesus sits down to teach. So far, so good. And Luke tells us then in verse 20 the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. If this was a scene in a movie, the building drumbeat of the soundtrack would immediately stop right now. The camera would focus closely on Jesus' face. The light on everything else around Jesus would go dark and would shine on Jesus alone. The director would want us to be thinking, what is Jesus? Now, full of the Holy Spirit, we just heard, what is Jesus about to say? How in the world is Jesus going to begin his ministry? The shockwaves of what Jesus is about to say will thunder across the region. The shockwaves of what Jesus is about to say will thunder around the globe and thunder from across on Calvary. And thunder from a tomb outside Jerusalem, and thunder throughout redemptive and human history. Jesus sits down; the eyes of all are fixed upon him, and he has the audacity to say, "Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing." Every promise of God spoken through the prophets, every promise of God, every prophecy of a coming Messiah. Every finger pointing forward to the day, someday, when Messiah would come. All of it was pointing to one man. Every promise, every prophecy, every finger pointing forward, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Things are about to get pretty complicated for Jesus. Mary will talk about that more next week. But not yet. Before things get complicated, Jesus proclaims the simple message of the gospel. And he claims in his own words to be the only one worthy not only of delivering this message, but the only one worthy of fulfilling this message. Jesus presents himself in one fell swoop as both prophet and messiah as the one who delivers a message and the one who accomplishes the message. The messenger and the message. Years ago, when Catherine and I were first uh, having kids, we became familiar with the Jesus Storybook Bible written by Sally Lloyd-Jones, and we fell in love with it, how it tells the stories of the Bible so compellingly, how she points to Jesus and all the stories. And I wanted to read a few paragraphs From the opening of the Jesus Storybook Bible, from her chapter, The Story and the Song, she writes, Now some people think the Bible is a book of rules, telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God, what he has done other people think the Bible is a book of heroes, showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you'll soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away. At times, they're downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true, she continues. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story, and at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together, and suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. Every story whispers his name. That's what Jesus claims in our gospel text this morning. Jesus begins to proclaim the message, beginning in verse 18, by quoting the prophet Isaiah. When Jesus says about himself, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. First point this morning is that Jesus proclaims the message. Jesus proclaims the message. Now, as we take in Jesus proclaiming the message of good news this morning, proclaiming the gospel, we have to listen to what Jesus is saying comprehensively. Jesus says what he says, and he says something on a much deeper level. He's speaking on a physical level, and he's speaking on a spiritual level. So in this first half of verse 18, Jesus says he's come to proclaim good news to the poor. And he means physically, really, the poor. Those who are in lack, those who don't possess great wealth, those who are truly poor. He goes on in verse 18. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And Jesus means really, literally, physically, the captives. Those who are not truly free. Those who would be stoned to death if he didn't intervene. Those who would be untouchable because of their diseases, those who are truly captives. Jesus goes on, he sent me to proclaim recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And he really means physically the blind and the oppressed, those whose eyes are darkened, those who are demonically or culturally or systemically oppressed. Jesus is foretelling here that he will display the power of his gospel physically, Jesus will show through signs and wonders how his gospel will reverse the curse. And by the end of this chapter, you can can do a sneak peek. Jesus doesn't waste much time. Jesus performs real, documented, eyewitnessed miracles. He goes to the poor. He goes to the captives. He goes to the blind. He goes to the oppressed. Why does God have such a heart for these kinds of people? Because they know they're needy. Because they know they're dependent. Because they don't live inside a false illusion of independence or of self sufficiency like healthy or wealthy people do. Never forget when I had an opportunity to go to Honduras on a mission trip, my first time there, and it was a few years after Hurricane Mitch had ravaged the country. And I went with a large team from the Diocese of Central Florida. And during the day, different teams would fan out to different villages and and do work and lead kids' camps. And I remember one day leading a kids' camp, leading some songs on a dirt road in a village that had been decimated by Hurricane Mitch. The poverty was unlike anything I can even possibly describe. And there I am with my guitar leading a, a bunch of kids and their parents in a song. And it was a VBS song that I knew in English, and we had translated it on the back of the bus into Spanish. So here we are: utter devastation, poverty, lack, physical lack around us, and we're singing, "I've got so much, 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 so much to be thankful for." Or in Spanish, "Yo tengo mas, y mas, y mas, y mas, y mas, y mas, Gloria a Dios." I've got so much. These people have nothing. How can they sing this with such delight and joy on their faces, children and parents? Because they had learned a lesson. They knew that they had Jesus. And they knew it better than I knew it. Right out of the gate, as Jesus begins his ministry, he makes it clear that he did not come to spend all his time with the rich and the powerful And the wealthy, he came to spend his time with the poor and the oppressed and those who are held captive. He spent his time with them. But Jesus is also saying something on a spiritual level when we read the message he proclaims. When he quotes Isaiah about himself, when he says that God's anointed him to proclaim good news to the poor, sent him to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind and liberty... To those who are oppressed, he's laying down the most fundamental tenet of understanding the gospel, which is that this is all of our condition spiritually outside of Christ. Apart from his grace, he's talking about all of us. Apart from the saving grace of God that Jesus has come to proclaim, we are all spiritually poor, we are all spiritually blind, we're all spiritually held captive. And we're all spiritually oppressed. Jesus is saying to every tribe and language and people and tongue that he and he alone is their release. Imagine Jesus walking into Declue right now. Or walking around George Mason University tomorrow when classes start back up. Or walking around the crowded terminals of Dulles Airport and saying to every single person, all of their issues, their different stories, different ethnicities, different backgrounds. I and I alone am the freedom you long for. The exclusivity that Jesus is proclaiming about himself. That's where he's headed with all this. When we get to verse 19, Jesus says he's come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor. He's talking about the year of Jubilee. Jubilee goes all the way back to Leviticus 25. Without getting bogged down in it, what the year of Jubilee means, Jesus is basically saying he has come to set everybody free from everything. All their debts paid. All their bondage released. All their chains gone. And who can accomplish this? Jesus and Jesus alone. If you haven't already noticed, Jesus didn't come to listen to conventional wisdom. He didn't come to play nice. Jesus didn't come to play by the rules. Jesus came to wage war on the powers of darkness that had enslaved his people. Jesus came to do battle with sin and death. Jesus came to conquer Satan once and for all. And Jesus knew that he would be victorious. Back in the eighties and nineties, there was a Christian music superstar named Carmen. Anybody ever listened to Carmen? You don't need to be embarrassed. No way, we are not ashamed. Carmen reference for you. Anyways, he was a superstar in Christian music in the eighties and nineties. And I absolutely idolized Carmen. I had his posters on my wall. I had every song memorized. I went to all his concerts. I got his newsletter. I even knew when his birthday was. (laughs) It was this past Wednesday, January 19th. So happy birthday in heaven, Carmen. Carmen's most well-known song was a song called The Champion. And in this song, he imagined the battle between light and darkness, good and evil, Jesus and Satan, as if it was a Rocky-style boxing match, playing out in what he called a cosmic coliseum. And at one point in the song, Carmen writes that God the Father comes into center ring to explain the rules of the match, the parameters of the boxing match, how it was going to work. And here's some of what Carmen wrote. This is the only time, by the way, an Anglican priest is going to quote Carmen in a sermon. So, <laughs> then a persona, yes, extraordinaire, appeared in center ring. God the Father will oversee the duel. Opening the book of life, each grandstand hushed in awe. As majestically, God said, now here's the rules. He'll be wounded for their transgressions, crushed for their iniquities. When he said, by his stripes they're healed, the devil shook. He screamed, sickness is my specialty. I hate that healing junk. And God said, you shut your face. I wrote the book. <laughs> Jesus has the audacity to sit down in this synagogue and say to them, I wrote the book. Verse, 20, he, verse 21, he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He not only has the audacity to say this, but he has the authority to say this because he is the message himself. First point, Jesus proclaims the message. Second point, Jesus is the message. Jesus is the message. The message of the gospel is literally embodied in Jesus. We can't separate what Jesus says from who Jesus is. Jesus defines good news. Jesus himself is good news. It's like when I was in my sophomore year of high school, and I was playing pranks in my English class before, after, and during class with all my friends. And my teacher had had enough. She called me up one day in front of the class and said, Mr. Brown, please turn to the word sophomoric in this dictionary, and read the definition out loud for the class. And so I read, sophomoric, lacking in maturity, taste, or judgment. My teacher was saying, in that moment, the one giving the definition was the definition. (laughs) Jesus comes and defines the way. He is the way. Jesus defines the truth. He is the truth. Jesus defines the good news. He is the good news. He is our living hope. He himself. I found this quote helpful from a book called King, Priest, and Prophet by a man named Robert Sherman. He writes this: "The truth of God's reign is not an abstract, but a living and personal truth, one that cannot stand on its own, but is revealed by and in Jesus, the messianic prophet. Were God's truth abstract an impersonal object, then presumably it could be received abstractly and objectively." But God's truth is embodied in a person and thus must be received personally and subjectively. God's truth is embodied in a person. The word became flesh, John tells us in his gospel. So in order to receive the words that Jesus spoke, we receive Jesus himself. And then, in order to flip that around, in order to proclaim the words that Jesus spoke, in order to proclaim the message that Jesus proclaimed, we proclaim Jesus Himself. This is good news for us. It's good news for us personally, and it's good news for us corporately. Personally, it means that I can stake my life on this man, my identity, my eternity. I can track with this man through the Gospels. I can read all the way back in the Old Testament how every story whispers his name. I can track with him. I can proclaim like Peter does. I believe you are the Christ of God. I can put all my eggs in this basket of this man, Jesus. And it means corporately we can do the same. Churches can be complicated. Spend any time around one work for one, join a committee, or not. You'll learn this, churches are complicated, they're very complicated. We have a church, we have a campus, we have a preschool and kindergarten, we have a budget, we have volunteers, we have needs, we have programs, it's complicated. But on another level, it's not complicated at all. Our mission and our ministry is to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And who is the good news? Jesus himself. We proclaim Jesus himself. Remember a few years ago when a mainline denomination adopted as its own vision statement, its own mission statement, the United Nations Millennium Development Goals. I'm not here to talk about those. I'm sure many of them are fine, truly. But Jesus Christ is the flame of the gospel. He is the flame. And from that flame, hundreds, if not thousands of sparks fly in every direction and they have implications and consequences for every aspect of human life. Yes, but Jesus Christ is the flame. We carry the flame himself. Jesus proclaims the message, Jesus is the message. Jesus comes carrying the flame, Jesus comes aflame. Here's where I wanna close. That we've seen how Jesus begins his earthly ministry by reading from the scroll of Isaiah, and then, as an illustration, that he himself has fulfilled the very scroll of the prophet, Luke tells us in verse 20 that he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant. Only Jesus, son of David, son of man, son of God, was worthy to fulfill the scroll. Of Isaiah to point to himself and say this scroll is fulfilled in me only Jesus was worthy because he was both prophet and Messiah messenger and message now fast forward me to the to the end of the age when there's another scroll and that scroll symbolizes God's final plan to execute judgment and to bring about Jesus' second coming. Only Jesus, the Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave, the Lamb who died to ransom the slave, only Jesus is worthy to open that scroll. John writes in Revelation 5 that Jesus takes that scroll, and then heaven sings, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to God, and they will reign upon the earth. And then heaven keeps singing at the end of Revelation 5, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might And honor and glory and blessing. The only one who was worthy to fulfill the scroll of the prophet because he had fulfilled it is the only one worthy to open the scroll at the end of the age because he will execute it. Our prayer is that the shock waves that began that normal day in a normal synagogue in Nazareth, that those shockwaves will continue to thunder in our hearts, in this church, and around the world, that Jesus would be proclaimed. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, Jesus, we thank you for coming to do battle against the powers of darkness that had enslaved us. We thank you, Jesus, for coming to set us free and to proclaim your good news to every tribe and people and nation and tongue. And Jesus, we thank you that you yourself are that good news. You yourself, you are that liberty and that freedom. Jesus, would you set our hearts aflame and set this church aflame For your glory, in your name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's stand together.